Gospel of Luke. It's right here in your liturgy. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with a skin disease approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? So where are the other nine? Did none of them return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Open our ears that we would hear the gospel. Our eyes, we would see Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um... In the verses that lead up to this, like this last several Sundays in the Gospel of Luke, um, we've been reminded by several of Jesus' parables and by the things that Jesus did and said, we've been reminded that Jesus has no trouble making people feel uncomfortable. You know, this, this happens a lot, right? He says things that make the religious leadership of his day so uncomfortable that they will plot to kill him just to get rid of him. He also makes the disciples feel uncomfortable as well. We saw that last week when he basically says to the disciples that they're quite capable of being just as sinful and hypocritical as the religious leadership who he spends so much time confronting. It's not out to win any popularity contests. Now, while it's important to note that Jesus is not out to be popular, okay, it's also very important to remember what's driving Jesus. What is driving Jesus is the utterly pure, utterly pure and powerfully passionate desire to enable people to flourish as God intends for people to flourish, as God intends for all humans to flourish. Now, you know, I really appreciated Dan's communion meditation because it was such a reminder that when we come into this space, we have been, generally speaking, those who have experienced highs and lows during the week, right? Uh, Some weeks we've experienced a lot of lows. Uh, We're fragile people. We've come because God has beckoned us to come and hear good news. And that's why it's important for us to remember that when, when Jesus has things to say that are confrontational, his motivation is to get us, to move us into a space where we can hear God's voice in such a way that we will turn away from the things that do not make human flourishing ours or others and turn towards the things that do make for human flourishing ours and others. And in order to do that, we must learn to see the world 
through Jesus' eyes and inhabit the world in Jesus' cruciform manner, this, this way of living that is just full of self-giving love for all human beings. Now, I, I say this as a preview of Jesus' healing of the ten lepers. It says skin disease in this translation. Leprosy um, is, is really what's going on here. Uh, I'm not really sure why they translated it that way, but they did. Okay, so healing of the ten lepers because the... I want to say what I just said as a preview to this episode that Luke recounts us here because the way that Luke contextualizes and relates Jesus' actions and words to us is an invitation for us to see the world and those around us as Jesus sees the world and Jesus sees those around him and us. And that, of course, suggests, back to the popularity contest, there are other ways of seeing the world that fall short, okay? So first, a little context about the reading that I just read to you from Luke. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, and his route takes him down from the north along the border of Samaria and Galilee. Now, those who heard this story for the first time or the first few times in the early church, would have immediately recognized this path as one where you may encounter Jews or Samaritans. Jews really didn't like to encounter Samaritans, and Samaritans didn't particularly like to encounter Jews either. The rift, it went back for centuries, was characterized by disagreement about how to interpret the Jewish faith and even disagreement about the very important question of where the unique and glorious presence of Yahweh, the creator and sustainer of the universe, where could that be, presence be found? For Samaritans, it was Mount Gerizim up north. And of course, for faithful Jews, it was Jerusalem down south. You might remember this famous encounter between Jesus and the woman in the well. She's a Samaritan and she asked Jesus among other things, why are you talking to me? And then still among other things asked him, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to be worshiping in Jerusalem? And then, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay? So, that's a bit of context. But what about what actually happens here? The lives of ten human beings Ten human beings who had lived their life on the margins as outsiders are transformed and made whole. But note the way the story takes shape. There's one of the ten who singled out for his exemplary response to being made whole. But his identity is only revealed after the one listening to the story would have already viewed him as exemplary, a model of faithfulness. Now this is a rhetorical move for a reason. Jesus sets up a little bit of a literary trap here. You're listening to the story and you think, wow, only one out of the nine does this amazing exemplary thing and 
You think to yourself, wow, what a human being, man. And then Jesus says, oh, yeah, <laughs> he's a Samaritan surprise. <laughs> that would have been a surprise to the Jewish leadership, okay? And probably to Jesus' disciples, too. Remember, there's this animosity, this division between the two groups that both descend from Abraham, et cetera, et cetera. And so the disciples and everyone else listening to the story are once again brought up short in the way that they habitually look at the world, dividing the world up as insiders and outsiders. And that point is driven home big time by Luke's designation of the man. He's not simply a Samaritan, but he says he's a foreigner. Foreigner. Scholars tell us that this is the only occasion that this particular Greek word is used in the New Testament. And scholars tell us that the nuance in the meaning of this word is determined by its etymology. One born into the wrong family. Foreigner. One born into the wrong family. And that's exactly how the Jews thought of the Samaritans. Born in the wrong family. Sorry. Can't come. Stay up there at Mount Gerizim. Don't try to come to Jerusalem. So once again, the disciples and the religious leaders are shocked by who ends up with starring roles in Jesus' stories about the coming of God's kingdom. The ones with the starring roles, well, especially the religious leadership and sometimes probably the disciples, they're thinking to themselves, that's not the right person. That's the wrong casting. <laughs> Somebody else should be in that role. One more thing that I wanted to say is that all this happens because of the route that Jesus takes. He takes a route that... Um, was not a particular, particularly, um, it's not particularly the kind of route that a faithful Jew would take because he goes straight through what would be, you know, Samaritan country. And uh, it's worth pausing to note here a lot of the pilgrims, when they would go from the north to the south, would go way around Samaria and add days to their journey. Why? Because they don't want to encounter a Samaritan. And it's worth stopping to think about the intersection of geography with theology here. Jesus made sure that even the routes that he chose and the places he went, he made sure that how he moved around the world, if you will, would put him in situations where he was with those who were regarded by the powerful as outsiders in order to help them understand themselves as loved by God. In our world, we might think of Jesus as always putting himself on paths through our city, where people would say, why are you going that way? 
don't you know that that way isn't safe? Who knows what kind of person you might run into if you go that way? It may take you a little longer, but I can give you a better way to go. Will we figure out our own way of journeying with Jesus along the paths that Jesus chooses to take? It will look different for different people. I'm not the one to tell you if you're going to East Garfield Park to Breakthrough, where, where we serve dinner once a month, I'm not the one to tell you how to go there. I'm not the one to tell you that this is something that, that you should do. But I am here to say as a minister of the gospel that all of us have to figure out how to follow Jesus, like through our own city, and think about where it is that Jesus is going and figure out how to go with him there. This is a must-do for us. It's not an option. It'll look different for each family, each person, but it's a must-do. And God will help us figure out what it looks like for us. So, wrapping things up, I want to just kind of go over what we've already said, just right toward the end here. This episode that, you know, Luke, so, so this is what Jesus is doing, this is what Jesus is saying, but Luke is the one that's contextualizing it, coloring for it, coloring it for us, giving it to us under the direction of the Holy Spirit. The last thing I want us to remember about this episode is just the way that the set of events taken as a whole shows us how God thinks about the world. Every neighborhood is loved by God. Which means that there's no neighborhood that is irredeemable. And there are no outsiders to God's love. Not one single one even though that's how we like to divide the world, outsiders and insiders. And Jesus is the only one that overcomes our sinful desire to choose exclusion over embrace. That last point is driven home by the ambiguity in which Luke recounts the story. Remember Jesus says to all ten of them, go to the priests and present yourself for purification? And the reason for that is they needed to be declared ritually clean so they could come back into normal life, okay? But in the region in question where all this happened, it would be a very open question as to what temple he meant and which priests he meant. They're up closer to Mount Gerizim. Are they all Samaritans? Is that where they ran off to or did on the side they say you know the disciples pull them over and say go pack your bags maybe that's what the nine were in such a hurry about <laughs> go pack your bags you're going with us down south to Jerusalem for the first time but I, I think it's arguable and a good argument that Luke left this ambiguity there on purpose the reason being it doesn't matter what temple? It doesn't matter what priests. 
For he signals the truth and fulfillment of what Jesus told the other Samaritan that we already spoke of, the woman at the well. He signals that truth again here by the way that he tells the story, leaving it ambiguous as to what priests and what temple. Remember he says to the woman at the well, when she asks him about the temple, she says, you're the ones, you're part of the Jewish people that say that we should be worshiping in Jerusalem or doesn't count. And Jesus says to her, very truly I tell you, there's coming a day where temples don't matter. There's coming a day when everyone there won't be any outsiders or insiders, but everyone will worship in spirit and in truth. Everything else will be obsolete because everyone will be united to the one human being in which all human beings can be reconciled to one another and to their creator, God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.